Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Luke 16, verse 19. We're going to read about the rich man and Lazarus. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was probably a little chubby. All right. Sorry. Verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came out and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Just something to notice here. A couple things. I'm going to touch on one. Sad that dogs took care of a suffering man and people did not. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and like, likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Kind of blows up the whole perspective of living the way you want to and hoping things get better uh, once you go to hell. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Listen carefully now. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Okay. A few things I'd like to touch on here. Number one, interestingly enough, this passage is not called a parable by Jesus. It's worth noting. Typically, when he shared a parable, he would say, I'd like to share this parable with you. It was very clear that there was an analogy taking place. It's my opinion, the opinion of others who are deep and study the scriptures. Many scholars would say, they believe this actually happened. That's my opinion. I, I think there's plenty to stand on here. Number two, and this is very, very uh, 
important. That uh, you understand what's going on down there. Number one, the, the man who's in torment actually calls Abraham father. You read that. Which tells me something. Uh, it's kind of that Matthew 7 shock. Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not prophesy in your name? As Mike Bickle says, shock me now, but do not shock me at the throne. So positionally, probably, probably through ethnicity, right, or what we would call religion today, or church attendance, he assumed that he's a son of Abraham. But Jesus makes clear, if you were a son of Abraham, you would believe me. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So here we see the trap of religious repetition or the thought that I am okay with God without the actual spiritual experience. And you can hear that shock here. He's calling Abraham father, but he's really not a son of Abraham. Make sense? Okay. Lastly, what I'd like to touch on is this. Let's, let's, let's look back down at verse 30. Or actually, uh, let's get back to verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Hell is tormenting. Hell is real. Hades is real. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no father, Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, now is where I want you to really lock in, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Okay, listen up. There is more salvific capability in the preaching of the word of God, in the gospel, which by the way is the power of God unto salvation. There is more salvific, in other words, saving power, saving capability in Moses and the prophets than a sign and wonder. That's what Jesus said. Think, think about what the, the rich man asked for. Let him, Lazarus, be raised from the dead and go, he says, go testify to my family. So we're not talking about just witnessing a resurrection. We're talking about a man coming back from the dead and testifying of his encounter. Listen carefully now. But Abraham does not turn him to the encounter. He turns him to Moses and the prophets, to the scriptures. Some of you got it. And Abraham says, if he did not listen to Moses and the prophets... He's not going to care about a dead raising. Isn't that wild? It tells me a few things. It's true regarding what Jesus said about Moses. Moses wrote of me. Abraham is saying here, Moses preached the gospel through his writings. And so did the prophets. So where did Abraham turn the rich man? To the gospel, what we would call Old Testament. 
which unfortunately limits our, our, the way we approach the scripture. And we talked about this last week. So I want you to think of that for a moment. That Abraham in this place is saying, if he doesn't listen to the word, he won't care about a miracle. You say, well, I, my life was changed when I saw a miracle. Uh-huh, but eventually you heard the gospel. Yes or no? One of the worst things we can do is show someone a sign and wonder and not preach the gospel. Because now they're accountable for the acts of God being demonstrated before them. And so are we. Paul did not write, woe is me if I do not work wonders. He said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now when I say gospel, I'm not limiting that to an altar call. This, friends, this holy book is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and it doesn't begin in Matthew. <laughs> well, I'm so glad Jesus showed up in that, in, in that manger. Jesus was around long before the manger. Oh, I wonder how the Lord got along with his mean father in the Old Testament. Uh, the burning bush was intense. I'm so grateful for this shepherd that just showed up. No, no, the shepherd that showed up in Galilee is the God of the burning bush. That's what makes the gospel so majestic. If he's just a man, it doesn't blow you away that he takes a nap on a boat. But we all do that. Yes or no? If he's only a man, the cross, the Calvary loses its glory. If he's just a man, can a man's blood pay for every sin, past, present, and future? No. Fully God, fully man. Jesus is the God of Israel. I had a guy once tell me while I was preaching, I love what you do, it's exciting, but I just don't see the scripture the way you do. And, and he's a man of God, I, I really honor him. And I said, oh, pastor, where did I get it wrong? Tell me. What, what do you want to say? He goes, I don't see Jesus there. I sat quiet. And I said, well, what do you see? He said, I see the God of Israel. And I looked back and I thought, he is the God of Israel. <laughs> Why do you think he's called the bridegroom? He came to restore and marry the harlot named Israel who broke her marital covenant at Sinai. That's is, as Israeli as it gets. He is the king of Israel. Jesus is the God of Genesis. He's the God of Exodus. He's the God of Leviticus. Do you think the priest just wore that stuff for fun? You think God just wanted the priest to wear this wild turban and a chest piece with stones on it? Two stones that flashed light? <laughs> you think God was after creating some sci-fi scene? This Middle Eastern... No, it's all about Jesus. The whole thing. So the point is, is Abraham here says, look, you have the scriptures. And you've turned off the scriptures. You won't respond to a dead raising. Now, how could that be? How could that be? 
Because miracles, listen carefully, miracles are not, miracles are not the energizing uh, power that brings us to faith. The Holy Spirit is. And if the Holy Spirit has decided, listen carefully, to wrap and encapsulate this message called the gospel to bring somebody to salvation, that is just the way it is. There is absolutely no replacing the preaching of the gospel according to the scripture. I hope you listen to the last portion of that statement. According to the scripture. There's just one gospel. Just one. So right now, we're hearing a lot about, I love Jesus, but I don't love the scripture. You don't love Jesus. You might as well just say, I love Tony. (laughs) Or Doug, because that's not Jesus. He may have a beard, you may have a picture of him, but that's not the real one. I talked about this last week. There's just one Jesus, the Jesus of the scripture. He has decided to disclose himself that way. So I'm into Jesus, but not the teaching of the scripture. But the only problem with that is, is that that's how Jesus showed himself to his disciples, Luke 24, from the scripture. And the breaking of the body, the breaking of bread, and their eyes opened. Uh, Ryan, come here. We're have some fun. So if Ryan wanted to know, this is what it looked like. I'll be the Jesus here in this little skit. <laughs> if Ryan was a hungry seeker of the Lord and he met the resurrected Christ post-resurrection in the scriptures, this is exactly what happened in Luke 24. Jesus would have taken Ryan close because he's loving. Any of, any of us who draw near him, the scripture says he will by no means cast away. It's his nature. So he brings him close. What Jesus would have done is he would have taken Ryan, according to Luke 24, and started the scripture specific with Moses, which is Genesis. Moses wrote Genesis. Most believe. I believe that. So he would have started there in Genesis and said, Ryan, I'm about to show you who I am in areas you would have never dreamed And Ryan's going to come a little blind. In fact, if he's not born again, he's really blind. He's 100% blind. We are children of darkness. We have to, (laughs) I'm not going to say what I want to say, but we have to be real careful when we tell everyone, anyways. (laughs) Jesus said, this is the gospel, prior to coming to faith in Jesus, our father is the devil. That's what he said. He even called the religious Jews sons of their father, the devil. Prior to giving our lives to Jesus, we are children of darkness, not children of the light. What we're doing now is we're saying, everyone's just a child of the light. But that's not what Jesus said. So I come to him blind, and now he wants to open my eyes because he can't see me properly which affects everything. Every area of life is affected by your vision of the Lord. 
if people say, I, I, like the thousands that will come to the pastor's conference this year, many want to know how to have a worship set. I understand, and we're going to do our best to pour our hearts out in that area. But more foundationally, the reason we worship is because the scriptures are taught. We see Jesus more clearly, week after week after week. And the natural byproduct is worship. So Jesus would take Ryan and say, Ryan, check this out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Ryan would go, oh, I never knew you. I thought you showed up in Matthew. I had no idea you were part of Genesis. Oh my gosh. And then he'd say something like this. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Ryan, until you came to me, you were void. You were covered in darkness. Next, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Ryan, the reason you feel different right now is because the Holy Spirit's moving. So you came to me first, and now the Holy Spirit's moving. Now something's about to happen, Ryan. I'm going to speak. And verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light. And the lights go off in Ryan, and Ryan comes to Jesus. That's how the Lord would deal with someone post-resurrection in the Scriptures. He would take them. You can go ahead and sit down. He would take them, beginning with Moses, and show them who he is throughout the Old Covenant. And for some reason, we've conveniently thrown this stuff out in the name of grace. It's true. John the Baptist, for some reason, in our mind, is like the enemy of grace. We're like, okay, there's, if you could pick a Bible figure that was more opposite of loving grace, it'd be the wild man in camel hair. The only issue with that is that John's name means grace. <laughs> so, and John got his name from the Lord through Zechariah. That tells me something. John's name came from God. So he didn't name him like all the weird names that we name today. You know, I don't know. All kinds of weird like modern names. <laughs> he, he, the Lord's like, I'm investing in this name because this is who he will be. To God, John's ministry was a grace-filled ministry. Now I want you to use that as the backdrop and now think about the things John said. He corrected sin, did he not? He turned people to the bridegroom. He said the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He, he declared Jesus as Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That's grace. Calling out sin is gracious. Fasting is gracious. It's all there in John's ministry. He says, one is coming after me. Yes, I baptize in water, but one comes after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That is gracious. I want you to redefine your view on what it looks like to be loved by God and, and, be, and experience the grace of God. Amen? All right, so it's very important we understand that about the Scriptures. They are powerful. Take your Bibles to Hebrews 4, verse 12. I'm going to give you a few more, and then we'll receive communion. Are you enjoying this? Okay. I mean, how gracious is the Lord that he'd give us a golf tournament? Have you guys ever thought of Glory. You guys ever thought of that? At the stadium course? 
Who needs an Israel tour? It's a joke. Don't stone me. Hebrews 4.12. Let's talk about the word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Number one, the word of God is alive. Say that. The word of God is alive. Say it one more time. The word of God is alive. That means, as I said earlier, when the word is preached, life is available. If you preach the word properly, properly, we must preach Jesus in the scripture. Some teach that the word just gets stuff done. It works. Yeah, but what a, what a horrible way. What a, what a less than way to approach Holy Scripture than to just see if it can work. Because if you behold Jesus, you discover something about him that your every need is found in him. So I don't need to, to manipulate the Scriptures. The most, what I do need to experience is the life-giving power of the Scriptures. Now listen very carefully. If today in this room you are sitting bound, listen carefully, anxious, that's a real thing. And just to be transparent with you, I have fought that just about yearly for the last, since 2015. Doing what we do is not super easy. It's a great honor, but it's just not the easiest thing. And for some reason, uh, occasionally throughout the year, I will deal with feeling anxious. Um, and uh, there have been mornings where I'm just like, God, I'd just like to stay in bed. Uh, and then I guess there's a myriad of reasons that that, that would happen. And I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly why those things happen. Some days are better than others. But what I have discovered is that when I give my heart to the slow, prayerful meditation upon his word, that life fills me. And when, when I am infused with life, those issues fade away. They don't necessarily disappear from my life. They just seem a lot smaller. The Lord begins to be magnified in my heart, and they no longer have the place in my thinking, and my consciousness that they had an hour prior. So the Bible says the word of God is alive. When the word is preached, people are literally raised from the dead. And I don't mean just physically. People are born again. What a mighty miracle. It's going to happen this morning. When people hear the preaching of the word, they come out of the grave. You need to thank the Lord for that. There's power. There's power in the preaching of the word. Now, the word doesn't only bring us to life, but the Bible says the word is alive. The word keeps me experiencing divine life. So say the word is alive. Number two, look back down at the scripture. The word is active. 
In other words, the word is moving. When the word is preached, God begins to accomplish things in our lives. One of the most important things you can do is sit, listen carefully, under the teaching of the word. The teaching of the word destroys a stagnant life. It is active. There is movement. There is movement toward the holy of holies. The word of God preaches us into the presence. There is a movement into divine life. And in the tabernacle, you are either moving toward the Ark of the Covenant or away. And so is life in, the, in our faith. The Christian life is about moving toward Christ crucified or turning my back on Christ crucified. There are just two ways. That's it. Toward him or away from him. When I sit under the preaching of the word, the word begins to move. It is active. It begins to accomplish God's destiny for my life. That transcends my ministry assignment. Let me just camp there for a moment. God's ultimate calling for us is not, in my context, it's not Jesus' image. That is a part of his plan for my life. It's a big one, but it's a part of it. So when, you, when I ask a foundational question, what am I called to? You are called to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the ultimate calling. So that doesn't serve Jesus' image. Being, conf- being like Jesus is not a part of making Jesus' image bigger. God's assignment for me, this is just for me, God's assignment in Jesus' image is part of making me more like Jesus. That gives me a theology for challenge. It gives me a theology for pain. As Heidi said to us here, we need a theology for suffering, like an actual theology, so that I have something to stand on. Can God get more out of this pain than I expected? You better believe it. God is committed to making us like Jesus. And it's probably going to come in two ways, or three ways. Intimacy with him, intimacy with his people, and challenge. So if Jesus wasn't exempt from pain and challenge, we, we, I'm not saying we need to enjoy it, but we need to realize it's part of life. The bigger picture is us being more like Jesus. That's the active capability of the scriptures. It takes me from who I am now and pro- propels me into who God wants me to be. Say the word is active. If you want to see that God move in power in your life and ministry, in your home, begin to sit under the word. I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully. You do have to sit under the word because everybody's a child if they're going to eat. Nobody stands like this and receives the word. I remember at Azusa, uh, Azusa Now in LA, Heidi took the platform. There were a bunch of young preachers there and this wasn't on the mic, but she, she walked over to them and said, uh, never take a platform like a seasoned professional preacher, like a big preacher. 
always take the platform like a little child. And that's the posture by which we receive the word and when we do, the activating capability of the word is released. All right. Number three, the word is sharp. Oh, I love that. Say the word is sharp. Now, um, you remember when the devil said to Eve, did God really say? What is he trying to do? Dull down the sharpness of God's word. Eve should have known. Now, we don't, we don't know how long she walked with the Lord prior to this, but she should have known that God only really says stuff. I'm going to say that again. God only knows how to speak clearly. Huh? So when God says do this, he, he means it. It's not like, well what I really meant. You'll never see that in the scripture. So the word of God is sharp. There is a cutting nature. Notice it says next, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating. Mm. If your heart's hard, if you know people who have a hard heart, expose them to the scriptures, even if they don't like it. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah, is your word not like a hammer that breaks the rock? Tommy Reed, every night growing up, his mom read him uh, the crucifixion story. Could you imagine that? Same passage every night. It's hard to have a hard heart. You might start with one. But if I read Golgotha's account to you over and over and over again. Eventually, your heart's going to soften. People have asked me, how do I get pride out of me? My answer is, stare at Christ crucified. It's hard to be humble when I see a crucified and naked God nailed to a tree. So the word of God penetrates. Now, do you remember, how many of you remember a passage in the scriptures where the Israelites came to a pool of water, they really needed to drink, and there was no water that was sweet. Remember it was bitter? It was called Mara. Mara could not be received because it was bitter. Such is our life. We have nothing to give when uh, our hearts are bitter. And that is the state of all humanity prior to Jesus. So Moses comes up with an idea that God gives them. Look at the tree. And Moses sees a tree in the distance and he takes the tree and throws the tree into the bitter waters. Now, he didn't place the tree in the bitter waters. He didn't gently wait to put the tree in the bitter waters just the way the Israelites wanted him to. He didn't say, I'm going to just be friends with the Israelites for the next six weeks and eventually get to this tree issue. Let me come up with a plan, a more sophisticated Gen Z uh, palette. I, I, I'm not going to come up with this amazing creative. I don't even need a creative team. I just need that tree to get into these bitter waters. And so the Bible says Moses doesn't place it. He casts the tree 
into the bitter waters. That is the penetrating nature of the preaching of the word. The word is not placed into our heart. It pierces our hearts and is planted into our hearts with swiftness and sharpness. Not in agitation, not in a mean nature, but the word of God is quick. It's alive. Let the word cut you. Daily. Daily. Now, what does that cutting look like? Just give me five more minutes. I repent, Lord. I said I'd never say that. All right. It penetrates. All right. Even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. All right, push your neighbor in the shoulder. If you don't know them, do it, do it kindly. All right. Dividing soul and spirit. What's that look like? There's an old saying, read the word until the word reads you. All right. What does that mean? If I start in the book of Joshua, I think I'm reading about Joshua. Then I discover I'm reading about Jesus. Then I discover God's talking to me through the scripture and begins to lovingly deal with me at a deep level. Okay, these are the two levels. Soul and spirit, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. There are many facets to this, this, this portion of the scripture, but that could sound like this. Hey, that idea you just got, Michael, that came from your soul. That was not birthed by the spirit. You had a good idea, but it didn't come from me. And God begins to teach you the difference between your soul and your spirit while he's renewing your soul and strengthening your spirit. He begins to teach you how he talks, what his voice sounds like. Regarding the soul, he begins to show you how to get those anxious thoughts out of your head. Now the scriptures begin doing surgery on you. Anytime you find a life of up and down consistent sin cycle, I promise you, you will find a life of undisciplined reading and meditating upon the scripture. There's no surgery taking place. Boints and, uh, boints. Joints and bones. <laughs> boints, boints and jones. Bones and marrow are not being separated. That's a deep surgery. Listen to the language. Bones and marrow. Have you ever cut a bone so sharply that you can see the marrow? Of course. You, you cook a lamb, you can see that. We're talking about a very clear, sharp, dividing line. And that's what the scriptures begin to do in us. Listen up. The scriptures become a mirror. And they begin to cleanse us. And that's why the scripture says, regarding the word, that it is the washing of the word that is taking place. For every husband here, your family, listen up, must, according to the Bible, be washed in the word, your wife, your wife specifically, and your children. That means your job is to share the word with your family. Every night, and every morning, uh, 
I, I declare scriptures over the kids every night. And there's probably about 40 scriptures we choose from about four or five. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes we're already, Jess is out, always. <laughs> you know, she goes to bed like that. And there'll be times where I want to be out too. And the Lord will say, you didn't do your scriptures. But we have to understand, while it may not be sexy and exciting, there's a work being done down deep in their soul. Let the word challenge you. Let the word challenge motive. Look at what it says here. Joints and marrow, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let's say that again. Thoughts, thoughts, my mind life, the attitudes of my heart, that's the depth of my being. A person cannot do that. A person cannot get to the depths of your motives, but the word can. So if you want an environment, a family, a church, a business, whatever it might be, if you want an environment of pure motive, the scriptures must be present. I've had times where uh, I've sat people down years ago. I can go back six, seven years. And let's just say two people weren't getting along. And I'm tired and I have to go to some reconciliation moment. Wouldn't you rather be in bed? We all would, right? Like, okay, fine, I'll go. What do you do but open the Bible? Right? So you open the scripture, you have one person here, one person there, and you say, hey, this is what Jesus said. Here it is, red letters. This is what you need to look for. This is when your, your alarm should go off, when the person answers, I know, but. And then you very calmly again say, hold on, I don't think you heard what I, what I just said. <laughs> this is what the Lord God Almighty said we should do right now. And the way we know he said it is because it's right here. So if we don't open the book, there's no way to know what he said. Well, I love Jesus. Uh-huh, sure. Sure you do. You love your own version of Jesus. You like the one you created. Your little sketch of him. He's good, he's good, he's good. Right. He is good. He's so good, he's trying to help you right now. So he said, he said, if I'm offended, I must bring it to the brother. Right? Well, I know. I, why didn't you do that? Well, I didn't do that because... Hold on. Let's back up again. Why didn't you do what Jesus said? Do you want reconciliation? Yeah. Do you want restoration? Yes. Okay, so you want God's result without God's way. You want the breakthrough, but you don't want the process. And it's right here. Will you forgive that person? No. But Jesus said, forgive them. I'm not doing it. Why? They, God needs to deal with them. Oh my. Let me read you another passage about the person who was forgiven much and didn't forgive the debtor and was handed over to tormentors. 
Some of the most miserable people I know, I have known and still know, are the ones who cannot forgive. They've been handed over, you ready? To devils. Demons have consumed their life. They just can't get over it. And here's the issue. This is the, the challenge with that. Everyone in life needs the moment where they are extended mercy. Everyone. There is a way to build up an account called mercy. You can build a stash. You can have a storehouse called mercy on your behalf that you can access when life gets difficult. But there's only one way to make the deposit by extending the mercy. So the scripture says, Jesus said, blessed are the mercy. That means they're full of it. They're full of mercy. For they shall receive. You got it. Well, the only way to know that is through the scripture. The scripture tells us how to reconcile, how to talk it out, who to trust, who not to trust. It's all there. We need his holy word to divide spirit and soul, joints, bone and marrow. We need the scriptures. We need the scriptures to read us. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.